0: AVXL episode 156 was recorded on September 30th, 2021. Foundation looks so pretty. Can-Jam, shiny headphones and earbuds. Epson drops a pair of 4K laser projectors along with a 1080p flamethrower. LG's A1 OLED. We got an update. New kit from Sonos. Fewer questions and so much more. Hey, do us a favor, email ask at avxl.com if you've got a question for us. And thank you, thank you, thank you to each and every one of you that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Got a viewer hangout coming up Friday, September 8th, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Do us a favor, post on patreon.com slash avxl if weekdays or weekends are better
1: for you. Testing, one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out.
0: Ignorant weasels, chewing on your soul.
1: Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah.
0: Well, Navy Excel. your guide to the best in home video and audio gear. No matter what your budget is, I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. I'm excited. I uh I went to Canjam. I came back. Cool. I heard a bunch of headphones. We'll talk about that later. Julian, uh, aka at wheels tweeted uh at AVXL. Quote, the first 10 minutes of Foundation, sir, seemed like an HDR showpiece. And all I'm going to say is Apple TV uh, Plus seems to be pushing
1: the pretty video hard. Excellent. Yeah. I love finding a good streaming show, especially on one mm-hmm. of the Prime services that can do HDR or Dolby Vision across your streaming device to a compatible display. Yeah. Some of that is some of the best looking content I've ever seen. I can think of a handful of great visuals to uh, peruse on Netflix. And I often do when I'm trying to show (laughs) something off my go-to episodes. Yeah. I was kind of delighted.
0: The crew over at uh, highdefdigest.com did a review of the new 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray for Silence of the Lambs. And I'm really excited about that. It's a terrifying movie.
1: There's been a whole bunch of transfers. It's finally getting the 4K treatment.
0: Yeah, Anthony Hopkins is extraordinary. Jonathan Demme does some extraordinary direction. I don't even know how to describe Jodie Foster's role in this. But it's it's an amazing, terrifying, awesome movie. And part of the reason I'm so excited to hear this is uh, we'll see it, yes, but also hear it because of some of the things they do with sound in later scenes in the movie. And I don't know if it's possible to spoil a very very old uh, <laughs> movie, but I'm not going to release any spoilers. But there's some stuff they do with laying music underneath the ambient noise of this scene later in it, and it was it was interesting because I later on realized I I, I had seen the movie in a theater with a really crappy sound system, and then later on I had a really crappy set of speakers on my TV with my VCR, and then later on in the DVD. And I had a much better sound system. It was the first time I realized that they layered this audio under there, and it's a very—you know—this is this is not chipper, cheerful music. They they did it for obvious. Jonathan Dem did it for obvious reasons. Now that I've got this totally badass sound system and a projector, I'm looking forward to utterly terrifying my soon-to-be 14-year-old. Uh, with one of the scariest movies ever, in part because he'll now understand just how terrifying his parents are because my wife and I often refer to lines from this movie randomly in conversations. Um,
1: exactly. <laughs> just the cultural <laughs> references in the movie alone might make it worth my, watching. <laughs>
0: just to have My a perspective. son will never look
1: at fava beans the same way again. So, but I think you're exactly and, right, yeah. though, when it comes to audio and video. You shouldn't just focus on one or the other. The groups and the people that put this content out are working very hard on both sides of that. Mm -hmm. And it's good to not ignore either one. Otherwise, you are missing out on part Mm -mm. of the experience. No. And I, I gotta say, like, you know, Foundation, the the tagline I think
0: in everybody who's talked about Apple TV's release of Foundation is, you know, this is one of those this is an Isaac Asimov's, you know, series. It's a classic of science fiction. It can never be filmed. And well, congratulations, never is here. This is one of the ones I've been looking forward to. Of course, Dune coming out later this year. Dune has a a history of being visually stunning and utterly incomprehensible. I suspect the version we see later this year will be uh, somewhat more comprehensible. But I don't know. It's a good time to be watching television and watching movies. That's all I'm going to say. We did not expect Epson to come out with a pair of laser projectors
1: this week. It did not either, but it did (laughs) pop up exactly yesterday. They sent out the press release for two brand new 4K laser projectors. These are aimed, I think, specifically at gamers in particular with 4K 120 support built right in, Mm -hmm. including low latency. They're claiming a sub 20 millisecond response time, which is pretty damn good for a projector. Right. TVs can definitely hit faster than that. But projectors have always been on the slow side uh, for the most part. And it's good to see them finally addressing this. Two new models, they're talking the LS11000 and the LS12000. The 11000 available in white, uh, the 12000 available in black, relatively similar. They're both based on 3LCD technology, which means that you end up with no rainbow artifacts at all compared to something like a single-chip DLP, and it's way cheaper than something like a 3DLP chip system, which are pretty rare and generally pretty expensive to do. The white version of the projector comes in at 2,500 lumens. The black version has a couple extra hundred lumens. Both support HDR10, and they both incorporate screen-adaptive gamma correction and contrast enhancement. I'm hoping that will apply directly to the HDR playback of these so they can give you better picture quality without having to jump through a few different settings for each individual title based on how it was authored. Right. Now, with laser lighting as the light source, they didn't get into details specifically about the laser system, which would indicate to me that they're simply using uh, blue lasers in addition to a phosphor material to generate a yellow, which then gets split into red and green. Not the greatest in terms of color space coverage generally with these systems, and they're claiming about 85% of DCI, which means it probably does a really good BT-709 color space, your regular HDTV color space. Mm-hmm. Both projectors also feature 4K upscaling and frame interpolation. Also, because of that laser light source, you're getting great features like uh, literally almost instant on, instant off. And if I hadn't mentioned it already, you get about 10 years out of this light source, generally according to their estimates. As a 4K120 device, you may have guessed that these projectors also feature HDMI 2.1 ports, which is super handy. And price-wise, we're looking at about... $5,500. $5,500. This originally came from Epson's UK website, and they had everything listed in pounds, so I did a quick <laughs> conversion to uh, US dollars, and that's what the pricing seems, and they're saying it should be out in October-November time frame. Hmm. I honestly can't wait to see someone like Epson or Optoma or one of the other popular manufacturers out there do their own RGB laser design and see where that goes. Hey, for right now, this looks like a great option for anyone looking for a a front projector, not a short throw design, that gives you terrific gaming performance with 4K 120. That'll be a good match with any of your modern video game consoles, any of your Blu-ray sources, uh, anything pretty much you can throw at this. And I can't wait to see some of the reviews that dive into... Is the benefit a laser there beyond just a, you know, a light source that can last for years and years? We'll see. We wait with bated breath.
0: (laughs) (laughs) On a somewhat different note, Epson also announced, uh, like, just this morning, the new 880X. Perfect for business and epic for play. It's a, you know, essentially it's a small, relatively small portable projector, 1080p, they're claiming 3,300 lumens uh, Again, 3 LCD color Android TV built in A single HDMI port And a fairly decent price of $660 So... If you're not doing super critical home theater I want, you know, HDR going on there Uh, You know, if you want something that's the This would be a super solid idea for a backyard projector Very, very curious to see the reviews of this when it comes in And to find out what it measures
1: like. I'm seeing it listed over at Stables for $599. Nice. And out of stock. (laughs) (laughs) It looks like the street price from a few of the retailers is going to be $599. Right. That's a bargain projector for something that's bright, Mm lamp-based, portable relatively. Something you could pack and bring. And it's at that price point where, you know, even outdoor use isn't out of the question. It's not a crazy expensive projector yet it still gives you decent brightness and that nice 1080p resolution. These are all good things. Built-in Chromecast, too. Ooh. Which is... uh, The popular. Always
0: intriguing. And Bluetooth, so you can stream to Bluetooth speakers, which, again, makes me think of, you know... Hotels and motels and conference rooms and backyards and other mayhem-y kind of environments.
1: Totally. The portable nature of it is great. Uh, I assume it has built-in speakers too, so literally you could just put up a portable screen real quick, throw this thing up in the living room or whatever, and have a great big screen enjoyment. Backyard use is where I would like this thing, especially with the weather. If (laughs) If the weather's decent, it's always nice to have a screen outdoors. Especially if you can kill all the mosquitoes. Hey. Uh. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I always forget about that in terms of outdoor use. Yes, you have this great heat and light generator that seems to attract all the bugs. And the last thing you really want is your air handling system in one of these projectors having to deal with (laughs) insects flying through it. So double check your filters after outdoor use. As somebody who moved from a place where there were no mosquitoes in the
0: East Bay to a place that has all the mosquitoes here in St. Louis, mostly I was just thinking about
1: being eaten by mosquitoes. But yes, protecting your air intakes is always good. I have been feasted on by the mosquitoes a few times. And yeah, not a great time (laughs) at all. And I also noticed that LG's A1 OLED popped up. It is now available for sale. And I was looking at that as a value option. And that's what most people are going to take when they see the price points for the A1 versus something like LG's C1 OLED, which is a step-up design. There are a few things to keep in mind, though, about the value-priced A1 versus the C1 especially if you're a gamer or you are looking for specific features on a TV. Out of the box, if you measure the light output, you're going to find that the C1 comes in at about 750 nits, maybe a little bit greater than that in its peak bright output, whereas the A1 maxes out at about 500 nits, so you have a little bit less light output. The C1 also has slightly better uniformity. And it appears though, that for whatever reason, the A1 actually has slightly better off-axis viewing. And I am looking through the ratings.com comparison tool right now for these two. When it comes to what's different, really it comes down to video processing. The C1 definitely has a superior video processor. It can handle your 24p material, especially if it's been encoded already into 60i or 60p, like you might get from a broadcast. That's where the C1 can actually look at those formats, pull the original 24p out of it and present it as such. Whereas the A1 doesn't have that kind of handling built in. It's more basic. Also, the C1 for gamers has G-Sync compatibility, a 120 hertz panel and variable refresh rate. Whereas the A1 is just a 60 hertz panel. Both TVs do have auto low latency mode, which is great. Uh, HDMI ports, you have three on the A1 versus four on the C1. All of the mm-hmm. C1's ports are HDMI 2.1, high bandwidth, whereas on the A1, you're getting three ports at HDMI 2.0. So there are some trade-offs, but you are still getting epic contrast no matter which way you go. It's not going to be as bright on the A1 compared to the C1, so keep that in mind, depending on your room environments. But otherwise, it's the value OLED out there for someone who might not need all of the bells and whistles. They just need epic contrast, good color, and maybe not the brightest of OLEDs out there. And save a bunch of money while doing it.
0: The C1's brighter, better uniformity, probably better off axis viewing on the A1. What's the price difference? How much extra are you paying for the the, the, the
1: extra 250 nits that the C1 chucks out? I'm looking just at the 65-inch screen sizes, which is pretty popular. Uh, and you're looking at about $2,000, say, with the C1 model versus $1,600 with the A1 model. The savings are significant. And if you can get away with a little less technology in your TV, (laughs) just a little, you can save some good money on that. And it might be a perfect option for somebody who doesn't need all the brightness out of an OLED and wants to save a buck.
0: Saving a buck's always nice. In certain
1: cases. (laughs) For sure.
0: And to make an awkward price-saving segue, I'm a big fan. We talked about it on the show. I'm a huge fan, actually, uh, of IKEA's Symphonisk lamps. Their partnership with Sonos has yielded a basic box, a lamp, the picture frame we talked about a few weeks ago. In the symphonic lamps, it's a Sonos speaker. It's a lamp. It is not a dessert topping or a floor wax. They sound really good, and they save space. And you can do things like use them as rear channels and a surround sound system nice. if you are using Sonos in your surround sound environment with your home theater. IKEA End of Life, the lamps that arrived back in 2019. They they started basically doing a last chance sale on those a few weeks ago. The Verge found an early week, but it is official that Sonos and Ikea will be releasing a new lamp on October 12th uh, in the US, U.S. stores and, quote, select markets in Europe. And then they're going to follow it up with worldwide availability in 2022, which, given the problems with Fulfillment and manufacturing and shipping, I think, is probably a fairly solid choice. The quote from uh, Stepan Beji, the product owner at IKEA of Sweden, is, Since launching the first symphonic table lamp speaker, we learned a lot about how and when they are being used. For example, a lot of people use a lamp speaker on a nightstand, which led us to create a new, slightly smaller lamp base. I'm I'm down with this.
1: <laughs> it sounds like it's made for you. <laughs>
0: we were trying to figure out because this is an older house. It is brick. Getting additional outlets into the house is a challenge. Um, getting into outlets where we wanted them near the boys beds was a problem. And having this light slash speaker was attractive. And then I heard it and I really couldn't tell the difference between it and a SOTOS one. It's effectively the same, same, you know, the radically different enclosure, but it's a sectionally sounds the same. And it was really impressive. Um, so they, uh, they're now selling a lamp base separately from two different shades. Um, they have glass shades, textile shades. It's like 140 bucks for the base. The glass shades are going to cost you 39 The cost shades are going to run $29. It's IKEA design. You're either going to love it or hate it or not notice it. Ikea says the new Symphonis Hable Lamp Speaker features a completely new acoustic architecture that uses a custom waveguide, creating a great sound experience from any angle, which I'm very, very curious to hear what they did. And of course as soon as it shows up at IKEA, I'll sneak in and start nosing about to try to figure out what they're doing with it. Do you think the
1: shade choice makes a difference in terms of sound quality or is it the sound mostly coming out of the base and it's not so much the shade that influences it at all? Because I'd be curious (laughs) if there is a sound quality difference between having a glass shade versus a cloth one, if it makes any difference whatsoever.
0: You know, if memory serves, they essentially have a tweeter that radiates out from the front of the lamp in... um, the original Symphonus lamp. And this one sounds like they're going to go for a 360 degree radiation of space. A Waveguide essentially means they have something that points the audio in a particular direction. And what they don't want is for the audio to come out of the tweeter or the mid or the tweeter, hit the glass shade, and then create a first order reflection that's, that's, it's just, that would be bad. So right. I think Sonos has more than enough audio engineering prowess to avoid that. Uh, I'll, again, I'll be curious to hear it. And as soon as I can, I'll, I'll do a side-by-side. Because I got to say, you know, if you're not going to sit down, you know, in, in the queen's chair or the king's seat in front of your beautifully arrayed speakers to have, you know, your distinct... Audio-only listening experience. Um, You know, Sonos changed the way my family interacts with music, and they're really good. I'm very, very curious to hear this. i got to say, I was shocked at how good the Wi-Fi speaker that came out this summer is, given the relatively shallow depth on that.
1: The sound coming out of it was pretty good. I appreciate the usefulness of a design where it's, you know, multifunction, and it's got the Sonos audio package in it, which... Granted, most yeah. of their speakers are fairly expensive. One hundred and forty dollars for a lamp isn't exactly cheap, but well, it depends on where you're shopping, Robert. This is very true. <laughs> this... you, you can spend all you want on lamps. Lamps. Can be I beautiful. can show you lamps expensive. that I, we
0: we could buy. We could buy you a new
1: car for less than the cost of these lamps compared to other um, IKEA lamps. <laughs> this this might be a very... little on the pricier side, but you get a yeah. speaker but system it's a built into speaker it, with a single plug design, yeah. where you're not like you said. Yeah in constrained environments it's a, it could be the perfect match
0: we'll find out so you were writing about uh, problems with eliminating overscan and i always thought overscan was evil and we should hate it but you have you have reason you have found a downside to eliminating overscan on digital televisions
1: i've spent the greater part of my digital career eliminating overscan <laughs> on various display <laughs> systems that is right. where they stretch the video picture beyond the borders of the physical display, usually by mm-hmm. about 5 to 6%. That used right. to be the case for your CRT-style TVs just to hide the edges, which can be distorted or contain data information that you really don't want to see anyway. Nowadays, it is something we should eliminate because when you do scale the picture larger than the display, you soften the image. And by forcing all of the video pixels to appear on the screen with no overscan, gives you improved clarity overall. And it's generally something you want to strive for in your TV setup. However, Mm -hmm. in the case of OLEDs, it's something you may want to think twice about. And as an OLED owner, and including products like those from LG and Sony, they have a built-in screen shift function that slowly moves the picture around during video playback And this helps prevent uneven picture wear when displaying, especially anything that's bright and static, be it a stock ticker or some sort of on-screen element. There are also other functions, too, for eliminating static bugs and things like that. Graphics on the screen, it will try to dim those, but that's a separate function altogether. It's this slowly moving the picture around in order to keep it from actually burning in any one specific spot of the screen or to help spread out the wear a little bit. And if you enable a just scan mode that turns off the TV's ability to overscan at all, it will limit the TV's ability then to be able to move that picture around in order to even out the wear on the screen itself. Now, I'm not using my TV for signage or for leaving stock tickers running (laughs) 24-7. And I generally operate my TV at whatever the minimum OLED light level is required for a decent picture quality in a given room environment. I almost never have it cranked up to 100 unless it's HDR based. While I don't worry about this too much for my use case, if you are a person that tends to leave your TV on one channel all the time and it features stock tickers or some kind of graphic that's always there, you're on a certain channel or interface where you're, uh, I could even think of PC use, but... You may want to leave the overscan turned on for those kind of situations just to give the TV a chance to move that picture around slightly and prevent anything that is static and bright on the screen from overwearing one specific spot. It's nice if it can move it a few pixels up, down, left and right to be able to shift that, at least smear the wear around a little bit and not focus it so much on one spot. I'm always going to say overscan is evil and it is something you should strive to eliminate for the best viewing experience, be aware that it can help prevent some of the functionality built into the TV to protect itself. That screen shift function's there for a reason. But, yeah, I I had that moment of clarity the other day. I was thinking, well, on every other TV I work on, including most OLEDs, I always set the overscan mode to just scan, or whatever mode will eliminate that overscanning function. But I am taking away from the TV to be able to protect itself a little bit by doing that. Hmm. Food for thought. Food for thoughts. I'm not here to cause panic. I'm just saying it's something to think about.
0: It's a good thing to think about. Uh, so I was at CanJam in Southern California, uh, Orange County, Irvine, Santa Ana. I'm not quite sure which side of the the line we were on, uh, but essentially CanJam is headfi. The forums, they have an event. It is an event that brings together headphone and headphone amplifier manufacturers and people like Cobas all together so people, enthusiasts, can hear the new headphones and earbuds and amplifiers because a lot of this stuff is exotic and difficult to find and kind of spendy. You know, if you're in Southern California, you can go to a place like the Source AV. Uh, I know the people who founded that place and run it, and it has they do online sales, but it probably has the single largest collection of serious headphones and headphone amplifiers and Sources I've ever seen in my life. They also do some pretty bitchin' home theater equipment, and uh, Mr. Lord... That bitchin' was put into that uh, sentence just for you, Ah. my friend. Um, (laughs) But, you know, again, you're not going to get a lot of chances, for example, to hear Dan Clark's new flagship. There's probably not a store near you that has a $4,000 headphone there. Uh, You know, I've talked about the Aeon and the Aeon 2 in the past. I got a chance to hear the Aeon 2 Noir and the Aeon RT. The Aeon RT is essentially... It looks, uh, it's a retune of the original Aeon that sells for about $500. The Aeon 2 Noir is very similar to the Harman curve. It's got a little bit of extra bass uh, and treble compared to the Aeon 2. The Harman curve, uh, I think we beat to death in our conversations. But if not, email Ask at AVXL and we'll talk some more about the idea of creating an optimized tuning for headphones again. The Aeon. Uh, I'm with uh, I'm with Lauren Dragon over at uh, the Wire Cutter, which is to say that you know you're going to spend thousands of dollars uh, before you get something that sounds better than the Aeon 2, which sells for about nine hundred dollars. Um, I bought mine used because I'm cheap. I like saving money, but I literally I don't I don't see anything less than and very few things. That are going to cost less than a couple thousand dollars that can possibly sound better for the money in terms of you know having an extraordinary audio experience i digress though because not only did i get to hear dan clark's new flagship which is using a meta material and unlike the Kef ls50 meta which uses a meta material behind the driver to absorb frequencies he uses a custom engineered 3D printed insert in front of the driver to eliminate standing waves and some other problems. Uh, and when I say problems, I mean super, super subtle colorations that he wanted to eliminate in his pursuit
1: of perfection. Not stuff where you're like, there's too much pace. Um, and that's why you're paying a premium price for yeah. literally wizardry like that. Yeah.
0: Chasing down that last, you know, 2% of the last 2% of the last 2%. These two companies are doing very, very different things with a very, very similar concept. That's your Odyssey's new flagship, uh, which was good to hear. And also it was interesting to talk to uh, the folks at Odyssey about how they're building their drivers, how they cast their films in-house, stuff like that. Heard Woo Audio's latest tube-powered uh, headphone amplifier, and as many of you know, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan. I I get the idea of people liking tube amps and second-order harmonics and how that sort of brings a certain what I a new phrase I learned this week euphonic coloration for the first time. And euphonic coloration is, in the words of Dan Clark, uh, he did a whole panel talking about what we can and cannot test objectively in terms of headphone performance. But euphonic coloration is quote something That means it's not accurate or linear, but you like it. And one of the examples he cited was the distortion of vacuum tubes.
1: That makes a lot of sense to me.
0: Yeah. So I heard the latest uh, Woo Audio WA-7 amplifier, and it was really impressive. It's not inexpensive. It's a beautiful piece of construction. It's like a $1,500 tube amp, but it doesn't sound like a tube amp. There's no coloration there. Would like to get a chance to listen to that for a longer period of time in a in an environment without so much noise behind it. But it was a very, very interesting listen. In no small part, right, it uses a pair of 12A7 tubes in it because it's been so long since I've used a headphone amp where I could actually use most of the volume knob. <laughs> um, right. Because... Most headphone amplifiers at this point are so powerful, you get to use like, you know, an eighth or a quarter of the volume knob before you start making your earbuds meet in the center of your skull. Uh, Very, very curious to, to see some objective testing numbers on that amp too. I suspect the frequency response is flat. I'd love to see the numbers on that. I heard some very spendy in-ears that have some very, very interesting uh, tunes or frequency response curves. I did not have my dedicated audio player, which was frustrating because that meant because of the problems with the internet in the hotel and with reception in the hotel, I couldn't listen to some of my preferred tracks to hear stuff. Something that did uh, delight me was uh, Edemotic, who does ear uh, in-ears. We've talked about, uh, I don't think, it's been a long time probably since I've talked about Edemotic because they were probably the first serious in-ear headphone I ever heard, or earphone, or or earbud, or whatever you want to call it. And I love them for two reasons. One, because they they delivered some really stunning detail and resolution. And two, because with the silicone uh, earplugs that wrapped around those, They were better than any earmuff I could buy or find in terms of attenuating noise. They were like, you know, negative 31 or 34 dB of attenuation. Isolation is excellent. It's amazing. I would, I would actually, I use them in a metal shop helping with some fabrication on a desert truck because... I could not hear the grinder with those on, but the grinder was an irritating noise through all of the earmuffs they had in the shop, right? I fell out of love with uh, uh ER4 series when I started getting into a lot of headphones that actually had pretty good bass, because Edomotic's bass used to kind of drop off. So now the ER4SR has essentially a flat, you know, the the bass is flat down to like, you know, 20 hertz. The ER4XR has a slightly elevated bass to it. Not as elevated as the Harman curve, but vastly better bass performance than the drivers had a few years ago. And that was actually really impressive to me. Uh, And, of course, they still do really good attenuation. Finally got to hear uh, Hi-Fi Man's Bluetooth Planar Magnetics, and that was actually really interesting. I didn't get a chance to hear any other of uh, Hi-Fi Man's new stuff, which was kind of a bummer. But their table was constantly full. But like a lot of other people, I always thought it was a little bizarre to have a big Bluetooth Planar Magnetic. They essentially have a clip-on Bluetooth receiver slash DAC slash amplifier on the uh, Diva Pro, and it sounded really good. They're somewhat spendier uh, than their 400i or 400SC. Again, there's a lot of background noise, and there was a limited number of tunes or tracks you could sample. But I'd be very curious to hear some more of the Diva Pro. It's uh, selling for about three hundred and thirty dollars. And if you're in an environment where you're not going to either A annoy the people in the cubicle next to you because you're blasting Tchaikovsky, or B, you know, your ability to enjoy whatever you're listening to isn't going to be ruined by all of the background noise in the room you're in, those open back planar magnetics can have a really awe inspiring sound stage to them. So
1: excellent. It was
0: good. It was really cool. Uh, you know, it was small. There wasn't a huge number of vendors, but there was a lot of enthusiasm and it was nice to, to get to hear a bunch of stuff that I've been reading about for the last six months or a year. Um, so props to the crew at HeadFi, props to the you know, the crew at CanJam, and uh, thanks to everybody who took time to talk to me. Uh, it was good to hear and see people at an event. It was nice to see an event not canceled. So very <laughs> cool. Did you fly into LAX? Yeah. I flew into John Wayne
1: International. SNA. Ah, oh, <laughs> very cool. How yeah. was your uh, travel overall in the current situation? <laughs> I have. Uh, well, I gotta remember. I tra- I had to
0: fly. I had to fly at least four times and drove cross country at least three times in the last year. Or so. Um, this was pretty chill. Nice. The only time I've ever been really nervous flying, because, you know, I have N95 masks. I basically strap my N95 mask on, I find my, my you know, window seat, and I try to pass out and breathe as little as possible for the duration of the flight. Um, the only time I've ever been really nervous was I had to fly the kind of the summer after the pandemic started, and I got rooted in a really weird flight and a whole bunch of people who had been golfing and drinking and basically were still drunk and yelling at each other um and were maskless or semi-masked or whatever you call it when they can't quite figure out how to get the the mask over their nose i kind of kept my distance from them was really thankful none of them was next to me on the plane because uh a couple of the people in the crew were were very enthusiastic about their lack of support for masking or, or other uh, COVID avoidance. But at this point, you know, I'm vaccinated. I was wearing an at 95 mask and, and did my best to, you know, not lick any doorknobs as we would say. I'm so tempted,
1: <laughs> especially on flights. Got to lick something. Anyway,
0: <laughs> save yourself. Good, from. good. Save glad yourself you had a smooth yourself. flight.
1: Hey, I noticed, too, that the airlines too. Uh, totally off topic, but I noticed the airlines are considering sharing their no-fly lists with each other. I think that is way overdue. <laughs>
0: oh, you know, I, I was happy to say that everyone was, you know, I, I was in one, two, three, four different airports, right? St. Louis and SNA, STL and SNA, uh, Phoenix and Dallas-Fort Worth. You know, some airports were better about people, you know, wearing their masks in between things than others, but nobody was being a jerk. And I was really grateful for that. Uh, (laughs) Because it's just not, people don't have to be evil. They really don't.
1: No, no. We talked about uh, earplugs
0: for concerts last week, and Bill emailed us at AVXL.com. He wrote, back when you could visit your local Sears, there was a hearing aid place that did etymotic custom earplugs with negative 15 dB discs. Others were available. He says, I've tried all the ones Neil tried. The custom ones are the way to go, Period. Also, he adds, as my brother was deaf, I had many talks with audiologists and I've fiercely protected my hearing all my life as a result. I was told that it is not natural aging that makes your hearing degrade. Father, time is not the issue, it's industrialized society. So go custom. Cheers. Love the show, Bill. Uh, Bill, one, thank you for taking the time to email. Two, thank you for taking the time to help watch out for everybody's hearing. And three, Thank you, as always, for listening. Seriously, the, the man speaks truth. Um, protect your hearing the best you can, because uh, it's not coming back once it's gone. Diablo 2 is back. Is that true?
1: Diablo 2. Resurrected. <laughs> oh, Actually, no. I, I picked this up. It popped up the other day. It's been in alpha and beta, and now it's an official title for release. It's about 40 bucks. And one of the things I really appreciate about Blizzard and their their re-releasing of these classic games, in a sense, Uh, Diablo 2, if you've never played it, it's like an isometric view with procedurally generated dungeons, generally fun, and up to four people can play together, and it's pretty cool that way. The Diablo 2 Resurrected brings literally an update that makes it work seamlessly with any size monitor or resolution all of the latest updates, including the graphical touches and the audio touches, while still retaining literally the original game within the program itself, where you can tap one button anytime while you're playing and it switches back to the old school 800 by 600 view. And it really is jarring. <laughs> but uh, if you've been uh, missing out on some Diablo love and you want to group up with a few buddies and go tour the dungeons and have all that great fun trying to find the cow level and other craziness afoot. It's there, and I'm actually enjoying it quite well. I'm also just tearing through the MotoGP season. Jeez, if you're into racing of any kind, you really need to watch MotoGP. It's some of the most exciting. Also, the relatively short races. It is a quick, intense blast of pure racing fun. This season has been one of my favorites ever just in terms of the quality of the top racers and how damn good they are at what they do. And I picked up a few new sets of pads from my MDR 7506 Sony reference headphones. My original pads for my 7506s lasted about a little over two years before completely disintegrating. I didn't even realize it until I took a good look at them the other day, and I was like, wow, these things are looking pretty gnarly. So I took your advice. (laughs) I went to a couple of the companies out there, Wicked Cushions and Brainwaves, I wasn't really sure which one to pick up or exactly what style I wanted, so I tried a couple different brands. I picked up one that was perforated, thinking it would make things a little less sweaty in general, especially on the really hot days, and in addition to a standard replacement that is the full-sealed ear pad itself for the 7506s. When you brought up a point about how the ear pads can change the sound of headphones, that is quite noticeable. I do find that the perforated pads do not enhance bass as much as, right. say, the the standard pads do. The wee holes absorb the bass, <laughs> or the, the they totally do the bass, a little I bit. Think. It's it's not dramatic, nor do I think any of them yeah. sound bad at all. It is a difference though, and it's worth picking up. Right. Also, new pads generally are fairly. Fairly inexpensive. So if you're looking for a little customization or your pads are simply worn out, don't hesitate, especially if you have easily obtained new pads out there. Right. Price is usually around 15 bucks or less if you shop around. Right. You can get as fancy as you want with that, of course. But I'm totally loving it. They're like brand new headphones now, and I'm using them as much as I ever have. And I'll be curious to see over the long term uh, if I end up sticking with the perforated design or going back to the more solid Base enhancing, type, but either way, <laughs> super happy and loving it.
0: daconi's another one. I was actually talking to the folks from Daconi about some of their ear pads this weekend. It's amazing how many varieties you can get. You know, whether it's protein leather, which is to say not leather, animal leathers of various types, perforated, non-perforated, uh, the padding inside of them, using memory foam instead of traditional foam. Like that is one challenge with the Sony MDR seventy five oh sixes. Is that the ear pads will disintegrate over time, and I will say the ear pads on all headphones will eventually disintegrate. Depending on the original sort of quality of the materials, uh, uh, you know, decent leather or a decent leather over a memory foam will tend to last a lot longer than vinyl or super cheap leather uh, over an inexpensive foam rubber. Just because your you know earpads are worn out, don't throw out your headphones. Conversely, if you buy some very very expensive headphones with a very very exotic earpad shape, if you can buy an extra if you love those headphones, buy an extra pair of earpads for them before the company stops making them. Because there's nothing worse than having headphones you love, but having to sit there and and you know spend your quality time crafting a way of keeping the the earpads from continuing to fall apart, looking like crap or disintegrating. Uh, right continued use uh, i didn't mention the name of uh, odyssey's new flagship the lcd5 when I was talking about uh, hearing that earlier it's their it's their first real flagship update since the lcd4 back in 2015 it's a third lighter uh, it's like 420 grams um, they've got a, a new uh, planar driver and, uh, magnet structure um, you know it's still using their fluxor magnet array uh, material or their phaser phage management all that good stuff uh, big old neodymium n50 magnets they call it the nanoscale parallel uniforce driver, the planar magnetic driver inside of that. Mostly, what it comes down to, it is impossibly thin, and of course, you know, the thinner and stiffer a driver is, or with a, you know, with a with a, a traditional headphone, a dynamic headphone, it's kind of the the lighter and stiffer the driver. In this case, sort of the thinner the driver is, the faster they can accelerate and decelerate to make the most accurate reproduction of your music. You know, it's very impressive. Uh, again because it's an open back it was a tough environment to really hear it in Uh, but uh, this is another one where it's a spectacularly detailed headphone so I'm very very curious to see uh, some of the measurements on that later on and to hear some more on that very cool Uh, $4,500 again these are these are for listening in quiet rooms dedicated listening and because you are committed I'm just going to say that (laughs) Um, you know and I will also say that you know a lot of their less expensive models get you 90% of the way to this headphone for a fraction of the cost. You know, this is, speakers are one of those places where, you know, <laughs> hey, take your time. Odyssey's got to cover their bases, and they are. Something for everyone. They really are. I mean, they, they you know, we talked about the Penrose uh, wireless planar magnetic headset, which comes, you know, basically takes some of the additional circuitry out of the Mobius uh Headsets and you know, makes them more affordable, but it's still fantastic sounding. It's good stuff, you know, and those sell for three hundred dollars. So Oh my goodness. Saw the first Sandman trailer, uh, that's gonna be coming as a series to Netflix. It's the Neil Gaiman penned comic. Uh, I hope it's as good as it looks. And I'm also deeply fascinated by all of the moments uh from the mini saints of Newarks, which is the sort of prequel to the Sopranos. Which I'm, I'm suddenly starting to look forward to. I'm just nice. gonna leave it right there.
1: Yeah, I was super thrilled to see one of my favorite sci-fi authors, uh, J. Michael Straczynski, bring up that Ooh. his beloved sci-fi epic arc story called Babylon 5, which is something I adored. It's probably one of the best story arcs in sci-fi that I've ever experienced, and it still holds up even today, granted how old that is, uh, a 90s sci-fi show. Weirdly (laughs) and sadly, most of that cast has passed away uh, through various reasons and things and time, but they are going to give Babylon 5 a brand new start, a new character, new cast. The space station will still be there, but I think they're going to change it up pretty well, and I'm really, really curious to see what they come up with and if they can recapture some of that just that epic storytelling over multiple seasons, hmm. where even things in the very first episode played out years later. If you were one right. of those, <laughs> one of those very careful watchers. <laughs> anyway, uh, that was one of my favorite sci-fi things ever. I'd put that right up there with Deep Space Nine, and Babylon Five. A reboot. With the epic Mr. Strizinsky is uh, something yeah. I'm looking forward to. No clue on where this might even show up. Oh, actually, CW I think is what they talked about. I think CW already bought the rights to it or has first dibs on that. Anyway, I'm looking forward to that. That's probably like a year or two off. I'll probably see the new Matrix movie before I see anything related to Babylon Five. So, well, that should be coming out later this year.
0: We hope. Oh my goodness. Hey, everybody. Our next patron hangout is Friday, October 8th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Keep an eye on patreon.com slash avxl or your email inbox to, uh, to get a reminder of that. Robert and I will be hanging out with you on the interwebs. Um, And, uh, hey, do us a favor, post on patreon.com slash avxl if you prefer weekdays or weekends because we want to make sure as we ramp these back up again, we want to make sure everybody gets a chance to hang out and, uh, uh, well, experience what, you know, the rewards you're paying for on your Patreon subscription. So thank you for that. Always a good time. Yeah, actually, they're an awesome time usually. Uh, at Robert Heron, at Patrick Norton, or at AVXL are the places to tweet at us. As always, email us, ask at avxl.com. Your questions help us guide the show. We learn a lot from them. And if you need a hashtag, hashtag askavxl works quite well. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL.